been a couple of weeks since we've been doing our verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and I just want to give us a reminder of really the outline for the entire book, because it really helps us understand, I I think, the heart of God um, throughout the scriptures, that God is always the initiator, and we are the responders to him. The first three chapters, so it's six chapters, the first three chapters of this letter are all about what God has done for us all about his goodness, the riches that we have in him, the wealth that we have because we belong to Jesus, because we've given him our hearts. And then the second three chapters are our response. In light of all of that we've received from the Lord, in light of all that he's done for us, what is the proper response in light of that? So I remember it as first three, the wealth, second three, our walk. First three, riches, Second three, response. Is that an easy way to remember it for you guys too? A couple of you got, a couple of y'all? Okay. <laughs> Helps me. That's how I remember it. And so Paul is continuing now in chapter two, um, reminding us of where we came from and what God has done in our lives, how blessed we are. Let's check it out. I'm going to read those first 10 verses. God's word says, Paul writes, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature... Children of wrath, just as the others, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that an amazing transformation, amazing before and after picture? Is that an amazing before and after picture, guys? You guys ever see before and after commercials? You ever seen those, like an infomercial, or you see a guy, the ab blaster. He's got like a keg before, and then after he's got the six-pack going, right? And you wonder... What in the world could produce a change like that? What could produce a a body like that? Not resonating with the ladies. How about the fountain of youth cream? (laughs) You you got the before and the the gals looking a little little rugged. Well, that's a gracious way to put it. And then the after picture is like super tight skin, right? And you're wondering, what in the world? Could produce a change like that. What? Listen, when people look at our lives, they should be wondering what in the world produced that change 
in that person, in their life. And we get to point right to Jesus. It was him. And, and Paul's reminding us of our, in the first three verses, our before. So let's look at our before to begin with. And Paul reminds the Ephesian church, he reminds us as believers, number one, it was God who made us alive. He made us alive. Our previous condition, what does he say? We were what? What does your Bible say? We were dead. Not physically dead, but spiritually dead. Spiritual flatliners. We had no relationship with God. Spiritually dead, no life in our trespasses and sins. What is a trespass? You see a no trespassing sign. Trespass is a willful disobedience. God says, don't cross this line, don't get involved in this, don't, be, don't do that, and we do what? We cross that line. It's kind of like when you see a don't touch the wet paint sign. What do we typically do? Right? Or don't walk in the grass, you see a trail. That's a transgression. That's a willful disobedience. Sin, interesting word, hamartia in the Greek, it means to miss the mark. The picture is a, as an archer shooting arrows, and it misses the target. So sin is missing God's best. This is God's best for your life, but what you're, the choices you make, the, the, the things you're involved with, you are missing God's best. We were once dead in trespasses and sins. Paul reminds us we were living in death. You were killing yourself, dead and dying. Your life was falling apart. You were making bad choices. You were involved in ungodly stuff. And then Paul lists our three enemies, the three enemies that we face. Number one, the world, the fallen world around us, the world system around us. Number two, the devil. And number three, our flesh. So let's look at this. Verse two, Paul reminds us we once walked. That was once the way that we lived. It was once our manner of life, according to the course or the, the route, the path we were on was what? According to this world, this fallen world around us, this world's values, this world's morals, this world's objectives. Well, what are you talking, Mike, what are you talking about? What does that even mean? If you're taking notes this morning, 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to read because John defines for us what he's talking about concerning the world. He wrote in his first epistle, John said in verse 15, do not love the world, this worldly system, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and here it is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so John explains further what we're tempted with, the lust of our eyes, the lust of our flesh, the pride of life. In other words, looking good in front of others, getting the, the praise of man. Um, some of you guys know in the business world, it doesn't matter who you step on to get on top, to, to get the, climb the corporate ladder. You do whatever it takes. You lord over people. You rule over people. You take from others. And you take on the values and the morals of this fallen world that is in rebellion to God and his word. And the world um, makes us want more and more and more, especially commercials. Oh, you can't live without this. You've got to have this. 
You will be satisfied if you attain to this, if you have that. And the world promotes its values, and you begin to think, wow, that's exactly what I need. I need to have that. And what happens? We keep accumulating more and more and more, but there's no satisfaction. We're still empty, and it kills us. It kills us, striving to have more, striving to have greater, striving to have better, and the world system does what? It plays us. It robs us of a love for God, John says in 1 John chapter 2, where I just read. And it's, notice it's living for this world in contrast to the world to come. You're living for this world. And this world we know, is it going to last? The things of this world? No, it's going to burn, baby, burn. Correct? It's all going to burn up. The only thing that lasts is you and I. The things that we do for Christ will last. Those things that we, the good works we just read about that God calls us to walk in because we love him and love people. That's what's going to last. But the things of this world, they will not last. They are going to end up burning in a pinch of ash just like that. That's why it's so crucial with the time we have left to invest in the kingdom to come, not in this world. Well, that's the first enemy, this world. By the way, 1 John 5, I think it's 19, says this whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Who's the wicked one? The devil. And that's exactly who the, the next enemy is. Look at the next part of verse 2. The prince of the power of the air, the chief ruler who has authority in the atmosphere around us, the spirit. Notice he's a spirit. Uh, who are we talking about here, by the way? Talk about the devil. By the way, don't get this messed up. There was a girl a few years ago on Instagram. She was saying, hey, we're gathering Sunday to worship the prince of the power of the air. I'm like, no. That's not Jesus. That's the devil, the artist formerly known as Lucifer. Right? He's a fallen angel. Are you guys with me on that? Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, you can check it out later. And so, and, and the text tells us who the prince of the power of the air is, the spirit or the, the fallen angel who now works, he energizes the sons of disobedience. So what does the devil do? He persuades, he tempts people to go against God and to go against his word. He questions the word of God. In fact, Remember the first question in our Bibles? Remember the first question in the Bible? Did God really say that? And the attack that, that Satan had on Eve and the same attack that he had on Jesus after 40 days in the wilderness was what? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He is a liar. Jesus said he, the thief has come to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy, to wipe out your life, to destroy you. And he, he propagates lies and deception. He hates God and wants to hurt people. And so it's interesting. Once I, I never realized that before I got saved that the devil was even involved. I thought of him as just like some guy in a, what are those little tuna fish cans or whatever with a red costume and a pitchfork. But he is alive and at work behind the scenes jacking up people's lives, tempting people, causing people to, to hurt themselves and to hurt one another. And so Paul reminds us where we came from. We all once, he says, we once walked in line with this fallen world, 
this fallen worldly system, following an evil killer who energized us to be disobedient. The devil playing the tune, we followed like lemmings. And then in verse 3, our third enemy, the flesh. Previously, all were part of that family, all at one time, sons of disobedience. And every one of us, Paul, Paul includes himself here, we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. We all once behaved, we all once lived according to what? The desires of our fallen nature. Our flesh is rotten, correct? Paul said in Romans, he said, I know that, it, that, that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. Flesh is weak. Listen, my flesh is as rotten today as the day I got saved. The Lord doesn't come into our hearts and fix our flesh. He makes us a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He doesn't rehab the flesh, strengthen our flesh. What are we to do with our flesh, with our self-life? What did Jesus say? To, to deny ourselves and to take up our cross monthly, quarterly, daily, right? That's our problem. That's what gets in the way of us experiencing Christ's resurrection life in us. And Paul reminds us that's how we live, trying to... Can the, can the flesh be satisfied? It's like a forest fire. It just wants more and more. You can't put it out by giving it more. Walk in the Spirit, Paul says, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, we learned in Galatians. But this was our problem, trying to fulfill. We spent our time and our energy trying to gain happiness or satisfaction, filling up the, the cravings of our fallen nature. In fact, Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. You guys remember what he, he talked about? He said, don't live for what you put in and put on. That's what the heathen do. That's what the worldly do. They live only for their senses, only for the flesh. But you, you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so notice Paul also reminds us that we were trying to fulfill the desires of our mind to our twisted mind, trying to fulfill our fantasies and daydreams. And, and, and the result of trying to satisfy the flesh is it kills you. We were dead and dying. That, does that kind of like open your eyes a little bit about our flesh? We were dead and dying. Living for the self will kill you. And not only that, notice what he says at the end of verse 3. We had another problem too. We were by nature children of, what does your Bible say? Children of wrath, just as the others. And so not only are we sinners by choice, but we're sinners by nature also. We've inherited a fallen nature, haven't we? David said that I was conceived in iniquity. That we've inherited this sin nature from Adam. That's why we need a new nature. And that's what God provides when we open our heart to him, when we trust in Jesus Christ. Man, think about that with me, though. We don't have to teach our kids to lie, do we? we do we, we need to teach our kids to hit? Take, take toys? Like their first words are not mama, dada, mine. Or mines, plural. It's all mine. Mines. That's what my, Right, correct. You guys are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. You don't have to teach them not. You don't have to teach them to lie. Teach them not to lie, and not to hit. 
It comes naturally to us. Correct? We do, we do what comes naturally when we sin. And so sinners by nature, sinners by choice. And it's interesting, it says children of wrath. So by nature, we were abiding under God's wrath. God cannot tolerate sin. He cannot be in fellowship with us until the sin issue is dealt with. John the Baptist said in John chapter 3, I think it's a great reminder, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Isn't that heavy? I never, again, I never realized that until I came to know Jesus. I always thought, I'm good with the big guy upstairs. You know, I go to church once in a while, and man, I was shaking my fist going my own way. I was abiding under God's wrath. That's heavy. Child of the devil? What? Really? But isn't it beautiful to be reminded that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, our sins and our transgressions? He took the wrath, listen, that we deserve for our sins when he hung on the cross. When he experienced the separation from the Father, we talked about that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Dad, where are you? All of our sins and transgressions piled upon Jesus, who is innocent. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He paid the penalty that we deserved. He took the wrath that we deserved upon himself. And so Paul reminds us where we came from. And I just want to point out something else. Children of wrath... I think it speaks of something else, too. It speaks of us previously as just angry children. Children of wrath. When you are living a life that is just dying, you're angry. You guys ever look around you today watching people on the freeway? Do you see people? Oh, come on, let's do this together. Let's work together to get into town. It's, it's an angry world out there. And getting angrier and angrier. Angry with others, angry with yourself, angry with God. Hurting yourself, hurting others. Paul says, we were killing ourselves with the way that we chose to live. And it was all of an expression of what was going on in our hearts. And listen, apart from Jesus Christ this morning, you are dying. You're in the process of dying. You're dead. And you are designed for so much more. Jesus promised life and life abundant. And so I think for those of us who know the Lord this morning, we've been made alive. It should cause two things in our lives to happen. I think number one, to praise him and thank him. <laughs> Say, oh Lord, wow, you rescued me from this. Thank you so much. I am eternally grateful. I will praise you forever. Thank you, Jesus. Like we just sang, right? Did we sing that song? Did we sing a song like that? Okay. You guys were here? Was everybody here this morning? Not only it should produce appreciation and gratitude, but I think also it should produce compassion in our hearts. Because we so often get frustrated and angry and disgusted with people and what they're doing, and you know what? They're dead. They don't know the Lord, correct? So that person that cuts you off, and right? Anybody ever get cut off? You say, you're dead. 
Not like you're dead meat, I'm going to come get you. The person's dead. They don't know any better. They are being killed, damaged by these three forces at work, and they are in desperate need of Jesus, just like we were in desperate need of Jesus. And he rescued us. Look at the next verse. Here's where it gets really good. Look what it says. But God. Aren't those two great words together? But God. But means moreover, or now for the rest of the story. God the Father who is rich. What's he rich in? Aren't you guys like his mercy? Not getting what we deserve. Does anybody like his mercy? You guys like his mercy? His mercy's new each and every morning. We come to his throne of grace to find mercy and help. Because of his great love, God's love is great, it's big, it's abundant, it's plenteous. God loved us. He looked at us in our dying condition with mercy. For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever believes in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. He didn't leave us for dead, gang. He did something about it. He paid the price for us to be delivered from death. That's good news, isn't it? But wait, there's more. Look at this, verse 5. Even when we were dead, even during that time, we were spiritually dead in the state of dying in our willful transgressions. What did God do? He made us alive. He breathed life into us along with Jesus when we gave him our heart. And notice it's by grace you have been saved. Grace, we'll talk about that more in just a moment, but undeserved, unmerited, unearned kindness and favor God has given us. We've been rescued, delivered out of danger, and into safety. Are you with me? That's what that word, it's sozo in the Greek. It means delivered out of danger and now into safety. Because verses 1 through 3, where does that end? It's the broad path that leads to what? To destruction. Jesus said outer darkness. Eternity. In hell, Jesus spoke about hell, and he said, avoid that place at all costs, and God has made it so simple. You come just as you are to him, and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself. So what did God do? He delivered us from that which would certainly destroy us. By grace, through faith, and he, look at verse 6, he raised us up together with Jesus. We've been resurrected with Jesus. Isn't that good news? We were dead, but now we've been resurrected. We just celebrated Easter, didn't we? Did you guys celebrate Easter? We did. On the cross, on the cross and on the third day, Jesus dealt with our, these three enemies and took care of them. Did you know that? He dealt with them. If you're taking notes, John 16 Check it out, John 16, last verse of the chapter, I think. John 16, Jesus said this. He said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Peace is in Jesus. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Why? Jesus said, I have overcome the world. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. What about the devil? 1 John 3, 8, second half. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested or revealed that he might destroy the works of the devil. How beautiful is that? Jesus said also, if the Son sets you free, you are free, free indeed. He has de dealt with our three enemies. 
the world, the devil, and our flesh. In fact, he's enabled us to have victory over those three enemies in our lives. Why? Because he's living in our hearts. Correct? Is he living in your heart? Is he living in your heart this morning? Have you opened your heart to him? So simple. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens up, I will come in to him and dine with him and him with me. Unite life together with Jesus. And so this takes Easter from just celebrating something that happened 2,000 years ago and brings the reality of his resurrection into our lives. You see, the, the Easter is all about Jesus, but it's also about us because Jesus was about us. He gave his life that we might have life, that we might be able to walk with him and have a relationship with him. Jesus rose from the dead and enables us to rise from the dead as well. And what God does is a personal resurrection in our lives. That's what Paul is reminding us here of what happened. And God wants people to look at our lives and go, wow, what are they tapped into? What produced that change? It's not the ab blaster. It's not the fountain of youth cream. It's not some program. It's who? It's Jesus. It's a person who does that. Who radically, it's, it's not an extreme makeover, it's an extreme takeover. He comes in and you let him have his way in your heart and your life. And it's glorious the things that he does in and through you. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself. And so your changed life speaks volumes of God's mercy, his love, his power. And so notice something else in verse 6, something else happened. So we've been raised up together, we've been resurrected with Jesus, and made to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? I, I'm sitting here in Houston, Texas. I don't feel like I'm sitting in the heavenlies. And i got to sit next to this person next to me. Do you guys feel like you're sitting in the heavenlies? Summer heat's about to get turned up here. Feels like another place. <laughs> right? Listen, God already sees us seated with, notice, with Jesus. Where? In heaven. Not like, oh man, Mike's over in the corner over there. How did he get in? He's got the dunce cap on, sitting in the corner. All of us are seated with Jesus. How cool is that? Is that cool for you guys? It's like, like, I, like I can't, sometimes I can't believe it that the Lord rescued me and saved me. And he also sees me already, from God's perspective, sitting with Jesus in heaven. You know what that tells me? Our position is settled this morning. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are just pilgrims passing through. This place is not our home. Our home is heaven. This world is not my home. This world is not my hope either. My hope is a living hope because Jesus rose from the dead. I have an inheritance, a reservation in heaven because of what Jesus did. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. But the Father already sees us there in the place that he's preparing for us. I think that's glorious. Well, look at verse 7. In the ages to come, and so for all eternity, 
he might show or undeniably display the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is amazing. So for all eternity, God's going to... We are on display as trophies of his grace. We're trophies of grace in God's display case is the idea. Look what God can do in a life. Look at how awesome he is. Not just that, but also when we get to heaven... Is that an amen or what happened? <laughs> Hopefully no one fell out of the penalty box. <laughs> it's sturdy over there. I know. We put those together. So, so check it out. So it also speaks of when we, when we pass through the veil, take our last breath here, and enter into eternity with Jesus, we're going to be blown away by new facets of his grace for all eternity. To me, that's amazing. Because for me, growing up, I thought heaven was going to be, we're going to be like chubby babies on clouds. Just. <laughs> making tunes and. But can you, I mean, can you imagine your best day ever that you ever had? And then that, a, a day infinitely greater for all eternity. How awesome that's going to be. How about just meditating on this? There's going to be no more pain. How much pain do we deal with? No more pain, no more suffering. How much suffering? How much suffering do people experience around the world, our brothers and sisters in the Lord? No more tears. And for all eternity, we're going to be blown away by his grace. He's going to keep showing us different facets of his goodness, of his favor, of his kindness, of his love towards us. And listen, it's all because of what Jesus did for us. Paul's reminding us how awesome Jesus is, how awesome the transformation that he's done in our lives. And notice, please, with me, it's by grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, grace, God's kindness, his favor, his love. Listen, literally, I think I shared this a couple weeks ago. In the Greek, it means to lean towards to extend a benefit. Is that kind of a beautiful definition? To lean towards. So God leaned towards you and me to what? To bless us. He wants to be close to you. He wants to be close to me. He loves us with an everlasting love. You are loved and you are the constant object of his love. Do you know that this morning, brother or sister? Do you know he loves you whether you go to church or not? Whether you do your devotions or not? Whether you've been a good boy or a bad boy or a good girl? Or, his love is constant. It doesn't change. He loves you. He gives grace to us not only for salvation, but it speaks about Jesus, of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace, layer upon layer of grace he gives us, his kindness, his favor towards us. Anybody grateful for his grace? It's by grace, he says here, you have been saved, you've been rescued, delivered out of danger and into safety. 
How? By trusting Jesus through faith. You and I responded to the gospel, to the good news. The Holy Spirit convicting us of sin, righteousness, judgment to come, and us saying, Lord Jesus, I need you. I give you my heart. I surrender to you. We choose to give him our hearts. We choose to put our faith in him. We, look, at, look what it says. And, not, and that, not of yourselves. We don't rescue ourselves, do we? Not at all. We don't raise ourselves from the dead, do we? No. It's the Lord who does that. It's a, the gift of God. Salvation is God's gift. It is free. Does everybody understand that? It's a gift that we receive not, look at what it says, he goes on, not of what? Not of works. Salvation, being saved, is not of our efforts, is it? It's not of our good deeds. It's not of our keeping rules. It's not of our observing rituals. It's not by being good enough. It's not by having a church membership. It's not by our works lest anyone should boast. We can't brag. Why? Because we did nothing but trust in Jesus. That's it. Our own attempts of righteousness, our own attempts to be right before God, what does God say about them? They're filthy. They're filthy rags. They stink. Smelly, gnarly, gross. Our own attempts. The old, listen, the only righteousness that God will accept is the righteousness that's given to us as a free gift because of our trust in Jesus Christ. Okay? Good? Grace means, listen, grace means receiving and rejoicing. Thank you, Lord. I trust you. My life is in your hands. My times are in your hands. And not just that. Look at this next verse. This is so good. We have time? Yeah, we do. Don't miss this. For we are his, what does your Bible say? We, is that all of us? Or just like the few, the proud, the spiritual marines? Is it all of us? We, correct? We are his, who's his? God's workmanship. You know what that word means, workmanship? His work of art. You're God's work of art. I'm God's work of art. Check this out. The word in Greek, check this out. The word in Greek is poema, in which we get the word poem. Interesting, huh? What does a, so what is a poem? It is an expression of the poet's mind and heart. Guess what God wants to do in your life? You work of art, you. You poem. God wants to express his heart and mind through your life. To everyone around you. That's glorious. His creative expression. Bringing forth themes that we can't produce in and of ourselves. Glorious themes to, to a lost world. To people around us the people we come in contact with. You, we are his workmanship, his work of art. Notice created in Christ Jesus. That word created, it means to make something out of nothing. Like you guys know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, created bara. It means to create something out of nothing. David said, I can't remember what Psalm, create in me a clean heart. 
Same word, bara. It's something that's not there. It's not there. I need you to create a clean heart in me, Lord. My heart's not clean, David said. Bara. Different word, it's because it's in the Greek here, but it means to make something out of nothing. Created in Christ Jesus. Our lives are brand new, aren't they? When, I mean, a mir- listen, a miracle happens when you put your trust in Jesus. God Almighty in the person of the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence within you. It's a new life. It's a brand new life. Again, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the, the new has come. What a transformation that happens. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should have the most amazing before and after picture because we look, we look at where we were apart from him. Where were we apart from him? Dead, dying, in the process of dying, and then now, life, resurrected lives. We now have life as God intended for us, the fullness of life, a life that works. You have a t- do you know you have a testimony this morning? Do you know that this morning? You guys know that? Where you once were, here's what God did, and here's what's happening now. Are you with me? Do you know you have a test? That's a testimony. You know a testimony? Are you with me? Still? That's like 30% of the room. (laughs) Here's what you once were. Here's what happened. You gave your life to Jesus, and here's what's happening now. You guys remember the, the, the demoniac? that Jesus set free? Remember the, the pigs? The demons went in the pigs. Remember that swine lake? Is that what something? Just kidding. Some of you will get that later. It's okay. It's... And the man that got set free, seated clothed in his right mind, right? Totally set free. Jesus sets him free. And he said, I want to go with you. Can I, can I hang with you? Remember what Jesus said? He said, no, I want you to go home and tell all your friends all the things the Lord has done for you and how he has shown mercy to you. Can you imagine what kind of friends he had, by the way, who he hung with? But they need to hear about Jesus, don't they? They need Jesus. Tell them all the great things that the Lord has done for you. Can you do that this morning? Has the Lord done great things for you? Has he given you mercy? That's a great place to start right there. Follow that example that Jesus gave to share your testimony. And and listen, some of us, before we came to know Jesus, we were really jacked up. Myself. Hurting myself, hurting other people, the things that I was involved in. I was in a hotel room. February 6, 1998, I was training for the Arizona Diamondbacks in Phoenix, and there was no preacher, there was no pastor, there was no nothing, but I knew I needed Jesus Christ, and I surrendered my heart to him, and it was like immediately, boom, like light switch turned on, new heart, new start, and I had a love for Jesus that, I was singing songs to Jesus, I didn't know any songs, just kind of making them up, you know? <laughs> Roses are red, violets are blue, Jesus is radical, and I love him too, and just singing songs. But the one thing that I knew for sure also that I was new is that I had a love for people that 
Because before that, I didn't care about anybody else but me. I looked at other people as what I could get from them. But then the Lord moves in and boom. And he changes us. And it's radical. And it's not a 10-step program. It's not, it's not some guru. It's not a book. It's not, again, it's not a program. It's the Lord who does it. Some of us, you, maybe you weren't as jacked up. Your testimony is just as glorious. Maybe you're here this morning saying, well, I, you know what? I was raised in a Christian home. Sh- should I build my testimony? <laughs> should I go out there and join the banditos? No, no, don't do that. Please don't do that. Because listen, he rescued you and transformed you before you had a chance to jack up your life. He rescued you from what you would have become without him. Listen, resurrection is just as special. It just occurred earlier for you in your life. I, for me, that's the greatest testimony. God's preserving you and keeping you and you continuing to walk with Jesus. You stay there. That is the safest, most glorious place to be is to keep, stay, keep your heart close to Jesus. He'll never let you down. You don't need to go build your testimony. I, I am so, I, I'm so grateful I got saved, but I wasted so much time and hurt, hurt so many people along the way. But I'm eternally grateful God gave me a second chance and a fresh start. And so, what, why, did, why did the Lord do this? Why are, he, why are, his, why are we his workmanship? Look what, it, look what for, for good works. You know what that means? Our lives have purpose and meaning. The, the, the life God intended for us to experience in contrast to verses one through three. We go from a life of destruction to a life of construction, of being built up on our most holy faith, building up others, loving others, helping others, serving others, We represent God to others, his heart, his love, his mercy, his grace, and his truth. It's interesting, in Acts chapter 10, Peter spoke about Jesus, that he was anointed with the Holy Spirit, and he went around doing good and setting people free. Isn't that an interesting description that Peter said? What he he remembered about Jesus was that he went around doing good. Paul said to Titus, young pastor Titus, he said, when you are instructing the church and ministering to the church, make sure you exhort them, encourage them to do good works. Not only that, to maintain good works. Why do do you think he had to say that? To maintain good works, because what do we do? We don't do it. We don't maintain them. For some of us, yeah, you know what, I used to serve, I used to be involved, I used to, man, but I'm getting tired. (laughs) Or, I've heard this one, you know, I got burned by the church, man. I'm not really into walking in those good works anymore. Are you crazy, man? Look at, God prepared all these good works for you. Sometime in eternity past, God was thinking of you. And what he laid out for you, all these good works, that you would walk in them. All you got to do is just cruise with Jesus. Just follow him. And what begins to happen? Boom, boom. Doors are like, like Randall, not Randall's, one of those stories. Doors start opening up and the Lord wants to use your life. Because he wants to express himself through you. You're his workmanship. 
And as you're following him, what begins to happen? You're just in the flow of what he has for your life. It's not easy. It's hard. It's difficult. Gnarly stuff comes our way. But who's with you? Who's with you? Jesus is with you. Things should flow and beauty should be coming forth from our lives and it's the beauty of the Lord. Listen, God wants to paint his portraits. God wants to, to, to wants his poems read all over the place. In the workplace, in school, in your neighborhood, my neighborhood. God has stuff he wants to do in our lives, gang. And God's plan isn't for you to waste your life. He's got good works already prepared for you to walk in. And so we approach each day as an opportunity for the Lord to work in us and through us. As we, Jesus said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing as you're abiding in him, spending time with him, following him. It's that simple. And what begins to happen? Good works, open doors, the Lord producing fruit in your life. Can I encourage you this morning? If you are a Christian here this morning, your story of resurrection is glorious. You are his work of art, his creative expression, and he wants to demonstrate who he is through your life. Listen, maybe you're here this morning, you've been made alive, resurrected, but you're not walking in those good works. Can I encourage you? Today's the day to get, get back on track. Can I encourage you in that? Like one of the things that God says throughout the Old Testament to his people is return to me. Return to me, return to me, return to me. It's that simple. You come back to Jesus. That's where revival always flows from, is coming back to Jesus. And you say, Lord, I need your help. Fill me up. You know what he's going to do? He's going to fill you up and use your life. Because he promised, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Your life's going to be a glorious expression of who he is, his grace, his love, his mercy, his power. Listen, maybe you've come here this morning and you don't know Jesus personally. You're dead. You don't, maybe, you don't know it. You're dying. And it's not an accident you're here. It's not an accident that you're, or you're listening online or on the radio or wherever. It's not an accident that you're hearing this message. God loves you so much. How much does he love you? He, he said, I love you this much when he hung on the cross. I love you this much. And I want to rescue you and save you and make you my workmanship and change your life in such a radical way that there's no other explanation for it but me. And he will do that in your life to his glory and for his name, in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much this morning. What an awesome, amazing passage. Thank you for the... Because he is agape, unconditional love. See, Ephesians 2, they talk about it, right? But what? You can't earn salvation can't do anything about it. It's a gift. Listen, a gift is not a gift if you don't take it. You don't accept it. That's what Ephesians 2 talk about. So when we talk about the Lord Jesus, right, we think about how much he loves us. And check this out. When they were having communion, 
The Lord took the bread, right? And he broke it. And I heard this. This is not my head. I, I heard it, and it blessed me. But I want to repeat it to you. He said, I love you to pieces. He broke the bread. He said, this is my body that's broken for you. I love you to pieces. And he said, well, what about sin? Well, okay. The drink, my blood. This is my blood, which is what? Pour out for you. His body, his blood. And then God chooses not to remember your sins no more. Think about that. Chew on that for a while. So, when you think about the remember what true love is, I pray that you guys have captured something that you've heard so many times from the perspective of the experience of what supreme love really is and what it means to each and every one of us. And I think we'll all be in agreement that we don't deserve it. So I challenge you guys to make an effort. And if you guys are struggling today and even now with the issue of love and forgiveness, remember the grace upon grace upon grace, as much grace has been given to you, pass it on. Don't keep it. Let your light so shine. In Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you. Your Holy Spirit has moved this morning, and we are so grateful to uh, to hear your word. And I pray that, Lord, that it has been landed in good soil, Father God, and that you will provide an increase, dear Lord. And I pray for uh, my brothers and sisters here, those that are having difficulties with love. Father God, you would just minister to them even now.